Well, it's been a great series, Marriage Things, and we just finished our big event, had over 700 of us here for that, the weekend together, spending time making our marriages even better, going to get counseling as part of that. So I'm excited about what God has in store for our marriages community of faith. We're going to talk to you today about how to make it last. But before we do that, I want to um, give you a little quiz to see how, how much you've learned, really, in all of this. So let's try this out. I want you to answer, all right? When your wife says, husbands, let's not get each other Christmas presents this year. It indicates... A, her desire to share with the less fortunate. B, her thoughtful and realistic interest in the household budget. Or C, a test to see if you love her enough to forget the suggestion and surprise her with something you'll be paying off forever. What? All right, C, you're right. See, you guys have learned. Number two, the answer is either him or her. Yell it out, all right? Who's more likely to utter the following? What's for supper? Have you seen my socks? When are we leaving for church? Do you think I've gained weight? Where's the remote? I think you're right. Number three, husbands, again for you, before answering the question, does this outfit make me look fat, what should a husband always remember? A, his wife's feelings are the most important thing. B, she may have spent hours shopping and putting the outfit together. Or C, the couch is lumpy, and when you sleep on it, a spring pokes you in the back. All of the above. All of the above. Uh, that's good. Number four, your husband puts on his high school letter jacket and finds he can no longer snap it up. A wife's best response is what, ladies? A, maybe it's shrunk. B, I really like you a little less skinny. Or C, that jacket would look stupid on a bald guy anyway. I'm not even going to go there, okay? Number five. Your spouse is snoring. You should, A, accept it as a minor flaw in an otherwise perfect mate. B, gently nudge him and say, roll over, dear. Or C, put a pair of sweatpants over his head and tighten the drawstring. <laughs> See, you've learned some techniques you hadn't had before. Number six, when riding with your husband on a long car trip, use the hours of quiet time to, A, discuss meaningful topics. B, point out the beauty of the scenery. Or C, excitedly warn him of impending highway danger that you can barely see as a tiny speck on the horizon. C. Mm -hmm. Guys, we know that one, right? Number seven, and last one. If a longtime married couple is in the bathtub together, it can only mean A, they still feel passionately about each other. B, their love life is spontaneous and exciting. Or C, he's grouting some loose tile while she tries to get rid of stubborn soap scum. We're not going there either, are we? All right. How to make love last a lifetime. And what we're going to find out is it's difficult. It really is a lot of work. But I want you to hear from some people. We interviewed a few folks at Community of Faith that have been married, I think, at least 13 years, I believe, is what it came out. And some as much as 60. So take a listen to some of the things they've learned. My name is Sam Estes. My name is Brittany Estes. Colin. 13 years this summer. I did coach him on that well, earlier yes, we today. Did. We about it. <laughs> I'm, I was scared of her interview. <laughs> <laughs> She'll probably say something. I wish she didn't. But <laughs> My name is Jacqueline Chuck. 
and we've been married 60 years. So I'm Jenny. Go ahead. I'm, I'm Chris. We've been married 13 years. I wanted to look at her just to make sure. <laughs> we should have the same yeah. answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we've been married for 21 and a half years. The best 19 years of my life. Did you say, you're accused? Okay, cut that for sure. He's joking, he's trying to be funny, okay? He's been happy for 21 years. I met her in a nightclub, and she walked in the room, and I told a friend that I was gonna marry her. We locked eyes, and it's like straight out of a movie. It's not, it's not even joking. Started dancing, that was it. She's been dancing me ever since. Favorite attribute? I don't, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife's uh, crazy personality. She's constantly the one who's screwing up, making bad decisions and. She has an amazing heart for people and just gives of herself unendlessly. That was a nice one. I, I gave him $20. <laughs> what drives me crazy? It took me a long time, years, 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 to understand when he says he's thinking about nothing. I could not process that. I'm like, baby, what are you doing? Nothing. What are you thinking about? Nothing. Or he's a loud chewer. No, I have really I have really skinny cheeks. I love you. <laughs> she's always right. Drives me crazy. Seriously, she's always right. There are a few things that I am I get right and I'm like. We had this amazing marriage already, but just being a part of COF and the things that we're doing here has just elevated it to a place that I never thought that it would go. It is through all of my service and all the things I do, it makes me a better wife. We started here when they were, when they were in Goodson Junior High. Um, I mean, they have, <laughs> it has completely helped and changed our marriage over and over. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Community of Faith, um, I'm not even sure really what type of marriage we would have. Well, I know it's, you know, counseling lots of couples. You just, you just try to get over to them somehow because it's just human nature. You're going to look to them. You think, oh, this person's going to make me happy. That's what everybody thinks. I don't care how much they've heard. That's still what they think. It's not going to happen. If I'm wrong with her, I'm wrong with him. I've, I've fallen in love with her many times over the closer I get in my relationship with Christ and I feel like I love her better and I want to serve her more. So my ultimate advice underneath obviously just recognizing the need for Christ in your marriage is going to be finding people that know more. <laughs> you know, people that just really um, care enough about you, care enough about your marriage and they that they that they live it full out in front of you. This last year I've spent a lot of time looking at my wife and seeing her really flourish and blossom in a lot of ways and it makes me really happy to see how cool and happy she can be. Oh, <laughs> face. Mm. Mm. oh I'm sorry. Any lipstick on your face? I don't know. I had a million ways to solve Chris's problems. I had a million ways of how he could grow closer with the Lord. And even though the intention was good, it wasn't godly. I always had this picture, you know, I of the Holy Spirit. I want to be full of the Spirit. And I always had this picture of it, you know, pouring out of me. And I wanted to affect my wife and my kids. I mean, I think when Laura talked about sarcasm and stuff, like I used to be sarcastic and tell people that, that was my spiritual gift was sarcasm. 
Um, but I realize that when I say and do things, it's very disrespectful. And I don't really mean it that way, um, but it's a dig. And that's the last thing I want the seem to feel disrespected. Because there are hard times, but we just have to know that he comes first, Sam comes second, and things fall in line. Now, I guess one of the things you have to see there is it takes a sense of humor, right? <laughs> to be married for a long time. And that's the dream, right? We all want that marriage that goes the distance, the marriage that lasts a lifetime. And it does take hard work. I think uh, I remember psychiatrist Dr. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled, said that life is difficult. But when we realize that life is difficult, somehow it seems a little bit easier just knowing. And I think even in our marriage relationships, when we realize that it's difficult, that it's hard work for everybody, but somehow it's a little bit easier as we go along the way. But that's what we want. We all want marriages that last. I've heard it said that marriage is made in heaven, but you know, so is thunder and lightning. And I think sometimes that's what we find in our homes, right? And reality is pretty sobering. Listen to these statistics I read just this week. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Almost half of divorces occur before 10 years and more of them between four and eight years. That's high, that's sobering, it's sad. And it's not what anybody intends, it's not what anybody dreams of when they get married. Nobody gets married thinking, ah, let's give it a good five years. I mean, you want the lifetime, right? You want that partner who walks through all the ups and downs of life with you. And what do the divorce papers typically say? Irreconcilable differences, right? I mean, that's the huge issue, isn't it? Incompatibility. But here's the thing that probably most of us have never understood. Incompatibility is a given in every relationship, and especially in a marriage relationship. You're going to be closer to that person than anybody else. And all of those things, those flaws in your character, the hurts and issues you bring, they're all going to come to the surface. One guy told me that incompatibility was a problem with his income and her patibility. But I don't. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> Theologian and author G.K. Chesterton wrote this. If we can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot understand why we are not all divorced I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. So marriage, honestly, is the union of two imperfect people in an impossible relationship. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. We have too many differences. We have too many issues. There's too much to overcome for us as human beings to make it work. But the miracle is that God can and does make it work. You saw these couples that have been together 13, 20, 60 years. God makes it work. And I would dare to tell you that unless God works that miracle, it's not going to work. It's not going to last. Mark and I can personally testify to the fact that marriage is hard work. It's a process. It's something that you work on from the day you're married until the day you die. I once read that marriage is a mistake that every person ought to make, essentially saying that you have a lifetime now to correct the mistake, to figure out 
how to make it work in a marriage. Two people are so different that apart from God, it's just not going to happen. I think the problem for many of us is that we have a wrong picture of what marriage is or model of how marriage should work. Most of us, at least I know for me, think of it that marriage sort of like buying a new car. You know, you buy that new car and you drive it off the lot and pretty soon, I mean, it's not new anymore, right? The new smell fades, the doors get dinged, the paint is scratched and it doesn't matter if you park on the line and take up two spaces, right? I mean, pretty soon the spark plugs aren't firing every time and the carburetor gets kind of gummed up. And after a period of years, I mean, you're ready to trade the thing in, right? Look for something new. And that's kind of the model we've had for marriage. It starts out good, but over the course of time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it goes bad. And we're trying to get it back to good again. And if we can't, then we think, oh, well and we trade it in. But that model of the car really isn't how marriage is. I want you to see a different model, and I think this one is probably more the way marriages are. And it's because of what I just told you. We're two broken, imperfect people in an impossible relationship, right? So instead of being the new car, marriage is more like a box of old parts. And you come together, and you've got to take these parts and somehow figure out how to piece them together and make it into something beautiful. So marriage starts out broken because we're broken, and we have to put it together. It's like you take the parts, and you're trying to juggle that and figure it out, and you realize that the wheels are all different sizes, and the front ends of Volkswagen and the back ends of Lexus, (laughs) and you're trying to figure out what you have here. But as you do the work, you figure out that you can put together something really beautiful. And as you invite God into the picture, the one who knows how to put the pieces together, you end up with what you saw in that video. Beautiful relationship of two broken people that have come together and chosen to love one another. That's what marriage is. We call it incompatibility, but I'd rather call it our differences or our uniqueness. That's what we bring to the relationship. The great thing about this model is that even though things are not good right now, they may not be good now, they're in process, and they're going to end up being something beautiful. That should give all of us hope. We're in a good place wherever you are because you're in process. And it's going to be something good. And that's why you're here, isn't it? Because you want that in your relationship. That's why you came to Love, Fight, Win event this weekend. That's why you've signed up for counseling over the next few weeks. Because we all want that relationship that goes the distance. Incompatibility is a given. And why is that? It's like we've said over the course of these weeks, we're all completely different. We were created different by design, male and female. We're different emotionally, we're different physically, we're different mentally. We think and process and communicate differently. We feel things differently. We've had different backgrounds, different families, different experiences, different hurts. Everything about us is different. So we're naturally going to be incompatible. And here's the thing. It's okay. It's okay that you're incompatible. Don't you think God knows? He knew you're incompatible and he brought you together and said, I'm going to form this marriage 
And he did it for a purpose because he wants to use it in your life to make you everything he designed you to be and to create this beautiful relationship that becomes the image and picture of his love for his church. Your incompatibility is by God's design. So now what do we do? I mean, we are incompatible. We're stressed, and the stress is growing. What do we do with it? The Bible says we must walk together in harmony. Psalm 133.1 says this, See how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. That word harmony is also translated peace or as one. Strong's Concordance says the literal word there in Greek for harmony is a song together or song of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God says your marriage is supposed to be. A song together, a song of the Lord. And the connotation of the word is one of steps or degrees, and I don't know a whole lot about music, but I know that's what harmony is, right? It's taking steps up in thirds or fifths or whatever it is in that particular composition. So it's not the same. The notes aren't the same. They're different. But when you play them together, it's a beautiful harmony. It's the song of the Lord. That's what God is saying about your relationship. That verse would say how good and pleasant it is for God's people to live together as the song of the Lord. How good and pleasant it is for God's people to live in steps of harmony. So how do we get there? Today, Mark and I want to share just a few very basic principles that if we put these things in place in our relationships, we begin to see us overcoming the incompatibility in our marriages. We've given you so far like some techniques, but how do you even get the want to 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 apply those how do you, how do you get the desire how do you get the power to do it that's what we want to talk about today and it's a spiritual thing it really is that makes all the difference one of the things the bible says is that we got we've got to realize that we get to choose our attitude write that down choose my attitude the attitude of christ is what we're supposed to have in fact look at this verse it says in philippians chapter 2 it says have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross what we find in America when we come to marriage, it's a selfish thing. Self is constantly asking, what about my rights? What, what about, what's in this for me? What about my needs and my hurts and my, me, mine? You know, we, with our little two-year-olds, we're always trying to get them away from the, the whole selfish thing. But marriage, we come to it in a really selfish way in our culture. And what the Bible says is that sacrificial love challenges this at the very core to come to our spouse in ways that are uncomfortable for us or even unreasonable ways that that cost us emotion and time pride energy selflessness is not a marriage strategy it's really a heart transformation and only God can do it 
And, and we see the life of Jesus defines it for us. It's serving over selfishness. Serving. In fact, listen to what Jesus said about himself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His death on the cross was that ultimate act of service. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We don't totally understand it, but somehow... When he died for us and took our place and our punishment, he opened the door for us to have relationship with God himself. And that's what it's all about. It's interesting because psychology tells us the stats. Psychology can give us statistics and can give us techniques but can't give us power. Psychologist and author Dr. John Gottman reports that 50% of all marriages end by year seven. That's some of what Laura was talking about earlier. That's not very encouraging. But we come to it selfish. And we stay selfish. And we can only last seven selfish years. And then we don't make it anymore. And then we try again. But if we didn't change that basic tenet, that basic underlying thing in us, we just come to the marriage number two with the same selfishness. Giving selflessly to your husband or wife is one of the best ways to to make your marriage strong. In fact, the University of Virginia's National Marriage Project in their State of Our Unions, Marriage in America 2011, says this. Generosity in marriage is so important. Married fathers, mothers who make a regular practice of being generous to one another enjoy markedly higher levels of marital quality and stability. In fact, the study found that above average daily generosity resulted in couples being 32% more likely to say that they were very happily married. But we have this pattern in us, don't we? Selfishness, it's ingrained in us. Gary Thomas, the author of Sacred Marriage, says it takes 14 years of marriage, 14 years, to not become entirely unselfish, but rather less selfish and began to shift from me to we. So we really haven't even begun to work until you're 14 is what he's saying. And that's an amazing thing to me. It's so important that we realize this and we understand this, that, that marriage is a constant death and resurrection. It's a constant giving of myself to my spouse. And some of you are still going, well, I don't even feel like doing that I don't I'm not I'm past that I mean the feelings are gone God says I've got a plan for that we're we're gonna look at that you know we didn't even realize how selfish we were till we got married did we because when we're single you know you can kind of live life the way you want to when two people come together it's gonna take something totally different And, and that's what God had planned. That's why he said when you get married, you will have trouble. And God wants to use that trouble to grow us and to change us. So we have to choose our attitude, choose to have the attitude of Christ in our relationships. And if there were one simple habit that if you asked me if we establish this habit in our relationship, in our marriage, that it would change things, it would be the habit of praying together every day. Surveys show that less than 8% of couples pray together on a daily basis. And honestly, that's pretty tragic, isn't it? 
Because there's power in prayer. And when we don't take advantage of that, we're missing out on that in our relationships. That's why we don't see the miracles taking place in our relationships. Great marriages don't just happen. You guys all know that. It takes a lot of work, constant work, in fact. But the prayer is the work. Here at Community of Faith, among our staff, that's one of the things that we talk about all the time. Prayer is the work. And that everything else that happens here is just reaping the benefits of the work that's already done. And I think the same thing is true for our marriages. We have to put in that goal of prayer. You know, every marriage has an enemy. Did you know that? And it's not the lady down the hall at the office. And it's not the old boyfriend that she reconnected with on social media. And I'm not downplaying those things. Those are important. But your enemy's real. And his goal is to destroy you and to destroy your marriage and destroy your family. And so if you don't get in on the work of prayer, he's got free reign to do whatever he wants to in your relationship. Ephesians 6.18 says this, Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Maybe the issues you're struggling with in your relationship are part of that ongoing warfare. Have you thought about that? Maybe God wants to use these difficult times to teach you more about who he is and to draw you deeper into relationship with him. So many of us get in those hard times and we think, I'm just going to bail out of this. This isn't worth it. And God's standing right there saying, just turn around. Turn to me. Come to me. Pray. I'm here and I'm ready. I'm ready to give you everything you need. He wants to make something great out of your relationships. Success in marriage is so much more likely when we invite God to be a part of our relationship. It's not just two of us, but three of us, Mark and God and I. It takes three. Prayer brings unity to relationships. It brings emotional intimacy. It brings a foundation for humility and honesty. One of the greatest problems we've seen in couples that we counsel across the years is just this kind of death grip almost that they have on pride and on fear, fear of letting anybody know that they have a need in the relationship, fear of weakness, being seen as weak. But when we pray together, the walls of those things begin to fall down. Pride begins to crumble. Fear begins to crumble. And it's so important that we take advantage of that. Did you know that prayer can settle arguments too. I mean, think about it. I'm Seriously, I want you just to try this. The next time you guys get in an argument about that thing, you know, that comes up all the time, you never can quite get it settled, that thing, when that comes up next time, I want one of you to just take a deep breath and stop and say, hey, let's just pray about this. And then stop and take each other's hands and pray. And ask God to give you wisdom. Ask him to show you your part in the situation. Ask him to show you what you need to change so that you can resolve whatever that issue is. Ask him to bring about healing in your relationship. And I think you'll find that you're going to have fewer and fewer arguments. And the love in your relationship is going to increase the more you pray together. All marriages have problems because they're made of two imperfect people. But when you add the presence of a perfect God, 
that's when you begin to see miracles. That's when you begin to see change happen. Change is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Restoration is possible. The more you pray together, the more you're going to see God do great things. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And that's what we want, right? Wonderful results. Evangelist R.A. Torrey said this of prayer. The reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. Anticipate your battles. Fight them on your knees before temptation comes. And you will always have victory. That's kind of preventative praying, right? Praying before these things happen. I want to challenge you guys this week to begin to do that. I'm going to challenge you every night this week to stop and pray together as a couple before you go to bed tonight. I, or before you go to bed every night, not just tonight. I know for some of you that feels awkward. You're not used to doing that. That hasn't been your habit. Makes you feel uncomfortable. But I want you just to do what works for you. I'm not saying it has to be some big, wordy, you know, 10-minute long prayer. But just take each other's hand before you go to bed, just for 60 seconds. And maybe if you're too uncomfortable to pray out loud, don't. Just pray quietly, silently together. And eventually, as you develop this habit, you're going to find your words, and you're going to be praying out loud together. But take time every night this week to pray together before you go to bed. Pray that God will help you to love your spouse even more. Pray that he'll help you to be patient. Pray that he'll teach you how to be the husband or wife that God desires you to be. Pray that he heals those childhood wounds, that baggage that you brought into your relationship. Pray that he teaches you how to communicate so that your spouse can hear and experience your love. Pray for the dreams and hopes of your spouse. I mean, how would you feel if your spouse was praying those things over you? It would change things, right? Prayer changes things. Remember, prayer is the battle. Could your marriage be struggling simply because you haven't developed the habit of praying together? I challenge you to begin to turn that around this week. I like what Laura had said at the beginning where she said what Scott Peck said in The Road Less Traveled, that life is difficult. And if we can just grasp that and know that, like we always think if we can just get over that next hump, it's going to be better. But that hump, that's your life, you know? And on the other side of that, what's on the other side of that? Another hump. And he said when you kind of start to figure that out, Somehow, it doesn't seem quite as bad because your expectations come into, into reality. What the Bible says, it goes even a step further. Life is warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. I want you to imagine one of our troops over in Afghanistan, out in that rugged terrain out there. And they're, they're walking through. They've got their, you know, their gun. They're ready. And it, it's a really difficult time. There's shots being fired around them. And all of a sudden, they just go, you know what? I am, I, I'm, I'm not happy. I think I'm done. This is my one and only life. I deserve to be happy. And they just throw their gun down. And You see, that would be ridiculous. We'd go like, what is wrong with this person? But that's what we do in our life. We say so many times in marriage, this is my one and only life. And I deserve to be happier than this. 
And God's going, no, wait, it's warfare. There's something I'm teaching you. I'm moving into you. I'm building into you right now. And, and don't quit too early. Our great, our great sin in America is a lack of perseverance. We just quit things too soon. And God is going, not yet, not quite yet. Hold on just a little longer. The miracle is coming. And I want you to hang in there. And, you know, I've never counseled a guy in marriage that I didn't have to say to him, you're working about a third as hard as you need to to make this go. And they'll always go, I'm working my rear end off. What are you talking about? You're working about a third as hard. You got two thirds to go. Because we're not used to the kind of work that it takes to do this. Some of you are going like, Mark, Laura, that's great. I mean, wow, that sounds like a downer a little bit. What are you preaching today, you know? But I don't even think I want to do this. Where do you get the want to? Where do you get the power to do it? I think it's so good that we would see Philippians 2.13. Can you put that Philippians 2.13 up on the screen? God, who is at work within you, will give you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Who's going to give you the will? You don't feel like doing it. Who's going to give you the will? God. Who's going to give you the power? God. It's his job to do that. And one of the things I love about Community of Faith is we're in this together. We do this together. And, and how we encourage one another so I want you to encourage your friends. Don't just say, yeah, you deserve to be happier than that. I would say, come on, we can do this together. We can make it together. Let's, let's even, uh, let's, let's do this. Now, how do you do it? Where do you get the power? I want to talk to you just for a minute about the secret of power as we close out. The secret of the power is walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul puts these two together on purpose because a lot of us are familiar with what it feels like to be drunk with wine. Taking little sips of wine until your personality is kind of changed and you're different a little bit than you were. It's still you, but it's drunk you, you know? Some of you are mean drunks. Some of you are happy drunks. And some are you, you know, some of you. It's just, it's this feeling that wine is controlling you in a sense. He says, don't do that. In fact, I would tell you in my counseling when there's verbal abuse and emotional abuse and even physical abuse that inevitably there's alcohol abuse involved. Now the Bible doesn't say don't have a beer. It doesn't say that. You know, in fact, it, Paul told Timothy, you need to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. But it says always don't get drunk. But Paul says here, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. So you do it the same way. You're taking sips of the Spirit all of the time. So let me get really clear with you how you do this. Because a lot of us, we haven't ever understood this and there's no power in our lives. How do you walk in the Spirit 
I like to call it spiritual breathing. What the Bible says is first you have to come into this relationship with God full out. You have to say, God, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me. And I step into that with all that I am. I don't understand it all, but I'm yours, 100% yours. I will follow you and your way and your principles. Have you done that yet? A lot of us have. Some of us haven't. If you haven't done that, that's the very first thing. You tell God that. But then if you've done that, what you do is you begin to walk in that, what God has given you. When you did that, God's Spirit, which is Jesus himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one, came to actually be in you, to give you power. And so what you do is you say, Holy Spirit, you live in me. I want you to empower me. And the way that you do that is you just stay right with God. You do that by confessing your sin. The Bible says confess your sins and he'll forgive you. That word confess just means agree with God. So what I call breathing out, exhale, is to say, Holy Spirit, is there any sinful thing in me that I need to confess? Some action, some thought, something that I've done or said. Is there anything I need to confess? And don't try to think through all the day and all the things you've done. Just let the Holy Spirit who lives in you bring anything to mind. And you confess that. I agree with you. That was sin when I said that hateful thing to her. I agree with you. That was sin when I was so mad and angry. I I agree with you that that was sin when I lied and, and, and didn't tell the truth in that situation. Whatever it might be. Okay? And then as you do that, you breathe. that's breathing out, exhaling the carbon dioxide. And then you breathe in the Holy Spirit. Then you say, Holy Spirit, fill me again. And what I've asked the Lord to do in my life is that when I sin any time during the day, that the Holy Spirit would kind of like grab hold of me somehow, that I would be aware of it so I could confess it right there and, re- and just be filled with the Spirit all the time. So I could breathe in and out all the time. Get the bad stuff out, the good stuff in. When Laura and I learned how to do this, our marriage changed. Do you know why? Because it says the fruit of the Spirit. Let me read you this verse. The fruit of the Spirit. What comes when you're filled with the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control, that's what comes out. So I wanted us to close by trying that. So I want you just to close your eyes, block everybody else out. This is just you, not even you and your spouse on this one. This is you and God. And this is what's gonna make the difference for you and your spouse. Right now, just say, Holy Spirit, you live in me. Is there anything in me that I need to get right with you? And then just let it be silent. Don't, I know ladies, you're thinking in spaghetti like we talked about. And it's all over. Just as much as you can, calm your mind. And don't be trying to think of things you've done. Just let the Holy Spirit bring something to mind. Because he's not always worried about bringing everything at once. Sometimes it's just a little thing here or there. Sometimes it's a deep underlying grudge or something that he'll go... You know that person you've never let go. You've never forgiven them. 
I can't work in your life till you do that. Whatever it is, would you just say, I bring that to you and I will agree with you. When it comes to mind, say, I agree with you, that's sin. I don't want that in my life anymore. That's all you have to say. That's confession. It's not walking on your knees for miles and penance. It's just agreeing with God. So in this silence, would you do that? You can continue to do that at home if you need to. But then what you do now is you just say, okay, Holy Spirit, fill me up with yourself. I want you to be in control of me. I want to walk filled with you. Just tell him that right now. And he, he's doing it. Really, when you get the, the stuff out, it just naturally, he just naturally fills that place back up, even without you asking. I like to ask because it reminds me that he's going to fill me up. And then just begin to walk in that today. I promise you, your want to will change. The power to do right will change. The way you see your spouse will change. There is so much power in this. It changes everything. Because it's God power and not your power anymore. 